Welcome to the podcast edition of Dream Talk Radio. I'm your host, Anne Hill, and every week I explore topics related to dreams, sleep, health, culture, and consciousness. Dream Talk Radio airs every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific Time on KOWS 107.3 FM in Occidental, California. And you can catch the live stream at www.kows.fm. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy this edition of Dream Talk Radio. Uh, So you are listening to Dream Talk Radio here on KOWS cows. And for all of you uh, new listeners, welcome to my show. I'm here every Thursday morning from 9 to 10 talking about dreams, culture, consciousness, anything else that strikes my fancy that seems to be related in some way. And today I have some guests. They are um, on the phone as we speak. I um, Oops. Okay. My guests are Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster, who are the, um, Mark Bregman is the founder of North of Eden, and Krista Lancaster is also one of the directors of North of Eden, and it's uh, in northern Vermont, and they teach and practice what they call archetypal dreaming. So uh, I'm going to bring Mark and Krista up on the microphones and see if this works. This is, you know, this is one of the joys of living in the 21st century, that we actually get to talk to people across the country in real time on the phone. So Mark and Krista, welcome to Dream Talk Radio. Hi, Anne. Hi. Oh, great. You're on the air. Are you are there... Hi, hi, Anne. It's Krista. Nice. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I um, let's see. It was kind of a synchronous encounter uh, when Jeremiah called me asking if you wanted to, if you could be on the show, because I had just been. You know, I'm a very slow reader, and like many people, I have a stack of books that I am quote unquote reading at any given time. But one of those books in the stack was Roger uh, Kamenitz's book, The History of Last Night's Dream, which I just find lovely. And, uh, you know, he's a beautiful writer, as you know, and uh, really a deep thinker. So, and, and so he is, when in his book, he talks about his work with you, Mark. Is that right? Yeah. Well, can you tell me a little bit about how the two of you came together and, and what that's been like for uh, for you and for North of Eden, suddenly having this, uh, I guess he's a practitioner of your type of dream work, and suddenly he's on Oprah and the spotlight is focused on northern Vermont. Well, uh, Roger's a client, and he writes about that, and he has uh, moved through some of the levels of the work, and through that process, process being a writer he decided he wanted to write about the work and um he's written several books and this is just a continuation but um he's also uh, now he has about a dozen clients and i'm training him uh not only as a as a client i'm training him to do the work for others uh-huh so has that affected your um I, I want to call it a school, but I'm not exactly sure what is it. A, do you is the, an institute that you run or a, a training program? Has that affected your presence in the world and your work with others in any way? Having the sort of the his publicity kind of bringing you guys into the spotlight. Well, uh, of course, you know we're a local uh, group. Um, there's a lot of pe- people I've worked through over the years that have decided they that they wanted to do this work. We also have a, a retreat center, 
that has brought the work into personal groups, which has intensified the community that we have because people keep coming together and and sharing their work only makes it that much more real in the world. So a community has developed out of it here, and we are all kind of hiders. I think we all came up here um, to remove ourselves from the cities. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is not our intention, and never was, to be putting the work out into the world. And so he put us in that position, uh, which we never thought would happen, and here we are. So it's disconcerting, yeah. Um, but we're, uh, I believe, um, strong, strongly uh, based on the dreams that we all have had, we've been in, uh, basically told to move forward in this work and to bring it into the world. So here we are on your show. Well, very good, yes. And, and I, I would sh- add that, yes. yes, there's been a huge learning curve oh, yes. for, for us um, to 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 sort of say yes to this and to sh- to have ourselves ready and, and take ourselves out beyond northern Vermont. Well, um, here you are in northern California. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is another sort of a fishbowl of, uh, you know, it's funny, there's a lot, you, what you describe, I, I translate as, you know, the whole introversion process. Let's just move out and, and find our little enclave and, and have, our, have our world and sort of live an easy life. And a lot of people come here to Occidental and the, and the West Sonoma County, which is, it's a beautiful area. You guys should come visit sometime. And, uh, you know, so it's a similar, I, I think it, uh, in some ways it's a kind of a similar vibe to, to Vermont in that mm-hmm. way. You know, if you want to, you really can live off the grid and be in your happy little forest home and not really have too much interaction with with the uh, fast-paced world. Yeah, sounds nice. Yeah, it is nice. And then in the oh heart of it, there's this cool little radio station mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's streaming on the web. So it's funny, even in the I, it maybe it's the illusion of aloneness or yeah. solitude. Well, now, well, nowadays, yes. Yeah. We're all such, everything is so tied together. That's right. So, Mark, it sounds like the that North of Eden started with you, and you developed your own idea of what you call the work, which is working with dreams in an in a archetypal fashion. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how you view the archetypes that show up in dreams. Well, I would... Uh the best way to say it is to recount a dream that uh, Carl Jung had, but it's a famous dream, mm-hmm. which is simply that he's going down under this uh, subterranean passage, layers after layer. At the very bottom, there oh, yes. are two skulls. And uh, from there, he uh, believed that he was being asked to uncover the idea of, a, of some kind of uh, archaic, deep, collective subconscious world. Mm-hmm. Um, I would comment to that by adding that the fact that the skulls are skulls and not beings shows the um, complete, uh, the real message being that the divine has been, has been shattered, lost, and that uh, archetypes uh, in the truest sense don't come as skulls. That was just... Uh, a point to be made for mm. Carl Jung that, in fact, they are living, breathing uh, being or forces, whatever you want to call them, that that um, people kind of know about and we have words for it here and there, but to actually have them come in your dreams 
um, and not give you a message, but rather challenge you to confront yourself before they'll have much to do with you is a, is a very challenging thing to, we all would like to be given a message and then do it or not. We don't like to be corrected. Our egos don't like to be told that we're wrong or that we don't feel deeply enough or that we're avoiding some deep hurt that would allow us to get more connected to our hearts in some way that we could hear the divine. We don't, we'd rather not do all that work. And so it's, it's difficult to understand the dream from a position that is going to challenge you so directly. We'd rather have just have it be a message. Well, don't you think that the skulls could also represent the fact that to him, the ancestors or the ancestral wisdom was in fact dead, whereas if he continued to work with the skulls, my guess, in, based on my experience with dream work, is that those, if that dream came around with another recurrence, there would be more life in them. I mean, that's been my experience. Absolutely, yeah. yeah the that's things. what we want to do in the dream work is to be obedient to the dream so that it comes back with direction and intention to what the process of personal spiritual yeah. growth is. So, yeah, so, totally right. One thing I'm noticing already, and I, I, what, I, what I'd like to do in this interview is, is talk about your process, but also do kind of a meta conversation about what exactly we're talking about. I like, uh, in my show, I like to, to kind of talk about the field of dream work as a whole, and then just sort of zoom focus back in into what the individual person is doing. So one thing I'm noticing already is that... Um, in, in your presentation, you talk about, um, you know, obedience to the dream and the true uh, uh, interpretation of the dream. And so that's challenging language. How do you, uh, what do you think about the idea that dreams have multiple layers of meaning and, and sometimes they have a sort of a paradoxical both and, uh, like, you know, this is true and the opposite is also true in the dream. Do you work with paradox in that way in dreams? Yes, but the central theme is always, like, there's three stages of, uh, of uh, dreams, and it depends what stage you're dealing with. You're dealing with, with which, which most people will be dealing with, which is the first stage of dreaming, is confrontation within the self, mm-hmm. uh, which is more of a psychological piece of work. So the paradoxes that exist between avoiding things within the self versus confronting the self in a way that allows you to move into a spiritual relationship is filled with those kinds of issues that one has to uh, understand and unravel their misconceptions of what they believe they are. Mm -hmm. It's not a question of what's real in the world. It's a question of what you perceive is real within you or not. Therefore, so many times in dreams... What you get in a dream, what is good in a dream is often bad, and what bad is, it comes to you in a dream is often good. And the reason why that takes place is because we're often already tricked to believe something good is, is really, you think that something good is really um, bad when it's really good and vice versa. So sorting that out in order to clarify the psyche in such a way where you can then have dreams come to you in a more direct way is the first major challenge of any dream work. And if you fail to clear out where people's misconceptions are, then the paradoxes, as you bring up, will continue. 
because a paradox comes from a misconception within oneself. Well, actually, I would, I would, um, I would put forth that paradox is at the root of most spiritual understandings. The the higher or not, I really don't want to set up a kind of a hierarchy about lower and higher consciousness, but the more multiple. Uh, stages of awareness that we can the more the the more multiplicity of awareness that we can hold at one time the more paradox is really central to our experience of each moment i don't know that a paradox is necessarily there to resolve well this is where i would 40 years of doing this work i would say that's that is exactly what it's trying to do and where it resolves is through a descent into core feelings Huh. And uh, core feelings is one thing we have to delineate between feelings and what we feel as emotions or thoughts. And a lot of times pe- people confuse what they feel with an emotion. And oftentimes, and you can't, it's hard to say, well, what it is, because every person, it's different. So, uh, so th- that's another challenge of, e- of early stage dreaming is to is to differentiate for that person what is a feeling inside of them and what is, in fact, an emotion. And an emotion, as I'll say, is simply a mutation of a feeling. It is not a true feeling. Well, uh, well, how I translate that is that, you know, often emotions in dreams uh, do not... uh, I may be really frightened of... Uh, an intruder in my house, and I f- might feel like my world is going to to explode if I if if I don't protect myself. But then, in working on the dream, I can think, oh wait, that intruder is actually some really vital information that I might need. And so, the emotion in the dream I can can be read as just as symbolic as you know the whole intruder archetype. Is that kind of what you're getting at with Absolutely. I would take it a little further and I would say that how that then relates to your personal life is really critical. Uh Like how that fear then challenges you or or makes you, just like you ran away from the intruder, which is a good thing in your dream, how do you uh, manage your life so that you never have to face into that fear? So the first step would be to look, to feel into those fears and how you manage in your outer life to avoid them. So this gets into the material, begins to, of how we jump away from our lives. Just to get that knowledge from the intruder is only part of it. The deeper thing is to engage the intruder uh, in, a, in a way that we become conscious of it in our outer life. Right. And if we're constantly running from our fears that we engage with the intruder in the first place, then we can't do that. You are listening to Dream Talk Radio on COWS 107.3 FM. This is Ann Hill. I'm your host every Thursday for Dream Talk Radio, where I talk with various interesting and uh, illuminating people on the subject of dreams and consciousness and culture. And today we're talking with Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster of North of Eden in Vermont. And if I'm not mistaken, your website, should people want to know more about what you do, is northofeden.com. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Perfect. So, Anne, can, yes. I, can I hop in here? Oh, yes, please do. Because um, I just want to offer a, a kind of a, a simplified model of this sort of conceptual framework of this work. Okay. Um, because I, 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 uh, I'm in, on the end of educating groups about this work. Oh, and good. Speaking. So um, what I want to offer to your listeners is 
if you imagine that every dream, and I know you're in the field of dreams, so I know you have your way of, of working, but I just wanted to really kind of bring it down to a very sort of simple image that if every night we have a lesson in the dream and, um, and, we, and we open that lesson and we find out what it is, in every lesson, in every dream, there's, there's specific instructions about where where the opening is and where the block is mm-hmm. in, in our psyche. And this work is so um, specific in its uh, inclination towards feelings and opening to the doorway to our feeling selves, which drops down way back down to where we've, we've lost uh, some part of ourselves or all of our or sort of connection to our souls. So let me, can I just clarify, by sure. feeling selves, you're talking about really old uh, habits, habits of, of a lifetime, basically, ways that we instinctively respond to things that may or may not be in accord with, you know, the situation on the ground at this moment? Well, I would say that all the behavior and the patterns and the habits are what we see as the obstacles to the core feelings. Yes, that, those would be emotional reactions. For instance, I'm driving down the street and um, a dog runs out in front of my car and I'm, I react with anger. I'm furious at the owner of the dog across mm-hmm. the street. Um, I know I, that dog. What's that? <laughs> I know that dog. You know that dog. <laughs> so what's really going on for me is that I'm terrified. I'm terrified that I've almost killed the dog that's gone across the street. My emotional reaction is just that gut reaction that is right there Mm -hmm. but that's not really the core feeling core feeling is my terror in that moment and if i can stay with that terror rather than reacting then i get something for myself that there's the dog there's that that, dog (laughs) that goes all the way back down to my primal moment of separation from who i really am and this work is really is really this is our focus to find the feeling doorway in a dream or to find the emotional reaction that is blocking us from the doorway. And every single dream has that doorway. And in working with someone, my job is to, to find the key to open up past the layers or the blocks of the reactions, whether it's um, a reaction of control or anger or our pride or um, shame. We really differentiate between that emotional reaction and the true core feeling, which when you boil it down to is usually loss or, or fear mm-hmm. on some level, um, the sort of, and, the, and, the, and the deeper buried feelings that, of course, we couldn't feel at some point or another in time when we, we fell, when we separated from ourselves. Uh, so this is in some ways a sort of a fall redemption model where you know, we, we get cut off from our original, from our authenticity and through a, a uh, a whole process of investigation and self-revealment. We are sort of restored to wholeness or individuation or something. Exactly. Ah, okay. Well, Krista, uh, I have a question for you. Actually, I noticed from your website that you're you're pretty much in charge of the, or, or you seem to be really uh, prominent in the teaching of the workshops. And I'm really curious how uh, what's been the trajectory in your life of you know coming to this type of dream work and then. Uh, getting to the point where you're actually, you know, having, as you say, you know, making the models for people to understand and to learn this whole process. 
Yeah, how did I get here from there? Yeah. Um, well, I think that I, um, I was drawn to working with people in groups. And um, so I, I trained in different ways, um, uh, in different processes. And um, 20 years ago, when I, I stumbled upon this work and I stumbled upon Mark in his office, um, there, we made some kind of connection where he recognized something, he will say, about me that, um, that we were going to have this partnership in, in, and, and be able to, at some point, um, bring this work out of the one-on-one in the office. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, you know, I have to say that, um, that Mark recognized that in me long before I would say that I knew about it. And so I would, he'd say, why don't you organize a group? And I'd say, okay. And I would organize a group. Or I would organize this presentation that we would do every year where people in this work would speak about their work. And really uh, in a very organic way over the years, um, I just learned more and more about how to do that. And mm-hmm. um, at a certain point, um, we, formed, we formed this group called North of Eden with a core group of people and that was sort of the beginning of developing the website. And um, along with my colleague, Susan Marie Scavo, we, we really created this nucleus of teachers who were finding their own way to express in their individual ways ha- how this work works. And so even though Mark has been this incredibly strong uh, leader and mentor, we've all kind of grown up now into a kind of co-leadership um, uh, Bill St. Cyr, Susan Marie Scavo, and, and Mark and I forming the nucleus. And I'd say that, you know, we've, through different people's dreams, we've evolved a way of working in groups that has a grounding in things that I've known about groups and also ways of working with the dream um, that uh, have become a powerful part of our retreat process. Um, we have um, a process called string therapy. Uh-huh which is the foundation of our, uh, our retreat work. And um, it's, a pro- it's a form of psychodrama in which um, we open up some, one individual's dreams at a time and then and work the dreams as a group. And, um, we, you know, it's just it's a fantastic way of entering into the dream and having the unconscious open up in the moment. Yes. And that's what, what we do, really, on our, in our five-day retreats on the mountain. That sounds extremely intensive. Yeah, it's extremely intensive and also incredibly joyful and playful because the level of the dream, as you know from doing your, the work that you do, that you, you, you go right under the radar of, of the ego. And so um, there's also a place of um, incredible vulnerability and playfulness that people connect with mm-hmm. in, in in being perhaps the most real that they've ever known. Uh, So it's intense, and it's also incredibly... um, I think there's a childlike element that opens up from from entering into the dream in that way. Uh And yet, um, from that sort of childlike or kind of very um, extremely open state, you've managed to create... Uh, teachers or, or practitioners who lead others. So there's, there That's is, right. uh, you know, it sounds like there's a transition from uh, real openness and vulnerability into a sort of a leadership role, which 
to me, there's always, there's sort of a, you know, transparent, but always some sort of membrane there between my personal experience and reality as a, as a human and my, my work with others and their, and, and their dreams. Yeah, I was really speaking of the experience of our participants. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, as leaders, yeah, the, the role is different. My, yes. My role as a leader is to hold the really strong container and, um, and keep everyone's experience um, aligned with their own, their own experience. Uh, and their own dreams. And their own dreams, right, the dream. People tend to want to jump away, and the leader has to be um, strong enough to stand in the front of people who want to jump away, and sometimes people get mad at you for uh, having them stand somewhere where they don't want to be. Right. It hurts, or it's, it's, it's so hard for them to do that. Right. But that's what's so exciting, because then we have the, the lived experience of the actual reaction in the moment. And I think that's where the skill of working with people comes in, is being able to work with what Mark's talking about is the controversial edges that the dream wants to bring out, yeah. the things that we don't want to know about ourselves and don't want to have exposed. Well, here's a question for you. Um, I was trained by Jeremy Taylor, who really does this um, great if-it-were-my-dream approach, which I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it basically it gives the dreamer, him or herself, the opportunity to, to identify with that sort of aha, that, that eureka moment where we realize that something is true about our dream, and the and I'm I'm wondering if this is similar or different from your basic philosophy about dreams. Whereas, the, if it were my dream, allows um, it means that only the dreamer can say for sure what his or her dream means. But uh, you know, everybody has their own way of of working with those edges in the dream. And I've had the experience as a dream worker of really feeling like, boy, there's a strong message here for this dreamer, and I'll and I'll suggest that, but the dreamer's like, no, 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 that's not true. And my rule for myself is, okay, well, I can suggest something three times in three different ways, and if the dreamer just is not identifying with it, then I'm going to move on because it's not, it's either it's not pertinent in this moment, or I'm just completely off the wall, or, but it's always within that framework of, you know, this person is getting what they need to get out of it. it. Do you find your approach is similar to that, or maybe just takes a different tack to that, or is it completely different? It, it's different, and I'll tell you why. The surface of the dream that you're talking about, and from my opinion, it's a surface place, what, what I, I mean, I know there's like the story or what the client believes, and um, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not true. It doesn't really matter. The point is that there's something more in it. And that when you, to access it, as Krista was talking about, through acknowledging or, or getting to a, to a particular feeling or an emotional state, because whether people are, are feeling or thinking in a dream, they're either in an emotion or they're in a feeling. Because thoughts can be emotions and feelings, too, or beliefs. So when you access exactly what that is and how it relates to their life, so for example, let's say you have a situation where the person is, is having a good feeling, but when you ask them, okay, how does that feeling relate to your life, and you get examples and you see the pattern of that, um, and it becomes clearer in then other parts of the dream that, oh, okay, you think this is a good, a good feeling, but what if, it is, what if it isn't? 
What if it is just a way of avoiding something else? So that takes you in a very, then everything in the dream aligns differently around that moment. Oh, if this is not a good feeling, then all the events that occur suddenly have a different meaning than if that feeling is actually what we call an archetypal or an authentic feeling. And so just shifting that reality, mm-hmm. that one question, uh, a degree or two, or 40 degrees, or whatever, just shifting it, it changes the meaning of the entire dream. And it also, since most dreamers find that they're wrong about what they think they feel, it shifts their reality to looking at themselves as if a mirror was suddenly placed behind them instead of in front of them. They're looking at part of themselves that they didn't really know that they were doing. And that, that is a shocking moment. But most people, because it's a blind spot, would not see it in their own dream. So a recognition that you talk about of something that the dreamer knows about in their dream, uh, it, it could be good or a, a good recognition. I'm not saying that it couldn't be. But we're looking at going underneath the apparent meaning of a dream by moving through and examining what their feeling actually is. Because feelings and emotions are consciousness and beliefs. And once you start tampering with that, uh, you really start doing something much deeper with the dream than what I think happens in dream work. Okay. Um, We are talking with Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster of North of Eden, and you can find out more about their method of archetypal dream work at northofeden.com. I'm your host, Ann Hill, for Dream Talk Radio this Thursday here on COWS 107.3. And if you're interested in uh, any back issues of my show or other stuff, you can look at my website, annhill.org. That's Ann with an E. So um, back to the conversation. That was fascinating, and I want to follow up later, but I wanted to ask something that uh, that came up earlier which is the whole um the the name of your of your community north of eden i'm wondering is this a sort of a takeoff from the east of eden the movie or or is this actually is it uh do you have a whole like a dream geography and i'm just kind of curious about all the symbolism and the metaphor of north of eden where is eden <laughs> well actually yeah it's it's um it's completely you know, rooted in geography, our retreat center is on a piece of land up a mountain called Norris Mountain, literally north of the little town, tiny little town of Eden, Vermont. Oh, I see. Oh. So um, I, originally, Mark had a Christmas tree farm up there, and it was called North of Eden, because uh-huh. it was North of Eden. And so it's really whatever springs to mind. But I do want to add, it also was in my heart when that came together as North of Eden, that what I call true north is the direction that we try to follow within the dream and the guidance that comes from the divine. Yes. So north of Eden to me means, you know, Eden is what we believe is the truth, heaven or on earth. And I would say, well, it's probably slightly north of Eden. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I would definitely agree. I, I often use the, the image of the compass 
and finding right. true north for oneself through right. an exploration of dreams. So, so that's nice same, that you, the, have, you have the same vision. Oh, absolutely. And that's it's one correct. I find that, that people, no matter what their orientation, again, the orienteering kind of a metaphor, but you know, whether they're deeply religious or whether they're extremely secular, they get it with the idea of the compass and, and where is true north? Where am I real? Where am I really pulled to go? That's correct. Great. And so describe for, for our listeners the community. It sounds like people move there to work with you guys, and then uh, is it sort of, you know, the whole town of, uh, now, ooh, is it Eden? or uh, I'm, I'm just interested in this dream geography now. We'll, we'll have to flesh okay. it out a bit. Well, there's a lot of people centered around Montpelier, Montpelier Vermont, okay. the state capital. And um, as yet, uh, we, the community doesn't exist in a residential way actually at North of Eden at our retreat center. But um, that's changing, I think, really rapidly as we just finished um, a dorm building. Oh, wow. And um, we, have, we are beginning our, the educational arm of, um, of North of Eden is opening in September with um, the Center for Archetypal Dreamwork, which is we are going to offer um, courses in um, both for general studies and for our therapist training course. Uh-huh. Yeah, and our a dorm has, a, I'm very proud to say, 46 beds <laughs> and 24 rooms with a sauna and an exercise room. and Radiant heat. Ooh, radiant heat is and really great. handmade furniture. Ooh. This is not a rustic retreat. <laughs> it's really, it's actually really gorgeous, and, uh, and it's going to be a, a year-round even in the in the winter months. Wow. Yeah, 2,000 foot level of the mountain facing north and with this incredible view. So you have that component yes. um, to the work. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I pay close attention to geography wherever I go, uh, no matter what kind of, whether I'm doing a workshop or a, you know, an interview or anything. And and I find that geography is mirrored in dreams a lot. And, you know, there's the whole concept of big dreams and little dreams. And for me, big dreams happen. And they're often dreams where I see a mountain or I'm on a mountain. And there's this idea, for me, I've, I've interpreted that as, you know, when we get visions or dreams that clarify a lot, this sort of shine a broad spotlight on our lives and our intentions and what forces are moving through us, that kind of feels like a mountaintop dream. And then, so we have one of those every so often and we kind of really get our, our bearings, you know, again with the compass, oh right, okay, two degrees to the right or whatever. And then our dreams sort of like bring us down into the valley of, okay, how do I, how do I bring this realization into my daily life you know how do I then interact with the grocer in a different way or how do I act with my kids slightly differently and you know it sort of gets into all of this nitty-gritty day-to-day of sort of incorporating uh, one insight after another into our lives so I like the the idea of this being on a mountaintop it does sound very evocative Do you, oops, I'm sorry, I, hang on just a second. Okay, are you still there? Yes. Oh, very good, okay. So I guess my question to you, my next question, and um, maybe both of you can, can ask this, is um, I've heard you guys talk about the divine, and I'm wondering, is that somehow connected to your third stage of work with people, or how do you conceptualize that? Well, that's, it's uh, divine, anything archetypal, the anima, animus, any of those and or other spiritual beings that come in your dreams 
I put under the, just that heading of the divine or the divine realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as stages of the work, the most important part of our work we don't talk much about, but it's, it's an alchemical part of the work, uh-huh. alchemy. It's what Jung tried to talk about, and it was really hard to figure it out. But it, there is a component that dreams, if you go deep enough in your feelings, then the dreams will respond by bringing you into increasingly initiations of, of changing consciousness so that you're not the person, you don't feel like, eventually you don't feel like the person that you were look, looking out of your eyes. You actually become more the person that you lost, like you were talking about earlier, Anne. Mm-hmm. And that consciousness that's inside or embedded underneath our egos is the self that wants to come out, and we become that. We feel that in the process of the work is the evolution of that through the dreams. So uh, the alchemy of that actually starts in, in what we call second-stage work. And so how would you, for instance, find the divine in dreams? Do you find that the divine or the archetypes show up in predictable ways, or have there been dreams where they are disguised as one thing and reveal themselves after a bunch of, uh, after some reflection on the dream? Well, it's like you talked about earlier of an intruder and feeling scared. And if the intruder was, in fact, not a pathology or some some dark force thing. Uh, if it was, in fact, a positive thing, it would probably was of the divine. It would probably, it, tip, it, typically, a Jung calls him the trickster. It's the animus choosing to come, with, to come to that person in a way that scares them because he wants them to deal with their fear before he deals with them. But the animus can come in very seductive ways to get you to like him almost immediately if he chooses. So how the archetype chooses to work with the, with the dreamer while you're asleep um, is part of the plan of unfoldment and trying to understand how he is uh, uh, coming to people in their work right from, the, right from the very first session, even if it doesn't come as a spiritual glowing uh, force that you could feel, He's coming in some way. He's always the teacher mm-hmm. of the dream. Like I never think about what does the dream want to teach. I always think about well, what does the archetype want to teach. And typically he or she is in the dream somewhere, or they're in a cluster of three or four dreams. He's there in one of those dreams. And by putting two or three dreams together, there's a story that unfolds, which is partly, I would call, his intention towards evolving the person. Why confront a person and change a behavior if it's not for some deeper knowing and deeper unfoldment than just being a better person? Not that I'm against people being better, but it's more about waking up to a consciousness that the other 80% of our brain is sitting there waiting to be used, so 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 to speak. There's so much more of who we are that is latent, and in the psyche... Uh, in these dreams, that's what it's trying to ultimately bring us to. Uh-huh. And C- Christo, so tying it back yeah. with the feelings, emotions discussion, mm-hmm. the way to that is through the feelings and going down into the sort of feeling corridor. So the archetypal um, beings, 
say the animus and anima come yeah. to direct the dreamer down into these these feeling um, tunnels or corridors. And um, I just want to reiterate because that because I really feel like that's the thing that um, that this essential difference between this work and other forms of dream work I've encountered is this. Um, this continual um, intention to move the dreamer back t- into their self, the self that can actually know the love or the uh, grace or mm. the peace of mm-hmm. the divine. Because without that core self that actually is open and can feel, there's no, um, there's no one there to actually to receive that gift. Right. Well, it sounds like... And that's uh, what we would call dying to self through the dream. Yeah. That what dies is the intentional person that that evolves past, you know, three, two, one, nine, somewhere in there, the child. You always have a dream where a child comes back to the dreamer, which represents the age in which the child was lost. That consciousness was was lost because we all had to, you know, deal with the world and that's part of our way that we grow up is we grow out of that uh that uh, inno- that innocent state. And so part of it, you know, you don't lose your intelligence and what you've learned, but you you lose the person that you created that blocks the child self that wants to that is the only part that can be with the divine. Like the ego part that is the self that created itself is it can't really emotionally connect. It can follow orders in the sense of like we talked about, you know, well what's the message? Like we're once to find out the message of a dream, but what if the dream doesn't want to give us a message? What if the dream it wants to kill us so that we can become part of the of the connected tissue of spiritual beingness? Uh-huh. rather than just an intellectual thought about it all where we're isolated from, you know, real real beingness. I don't know how else to call it. Christy, you want to comment? Well, that was a lot. Just to <laughs> Well, you know, we're, we're getting pretty deep pretty fast here. Let me just uh, cue in listeners who may have just uh, turned on the radio. This is KOWS. Occidental, and you are listening to Dream Talk Radio. I'm Ann Hill. I'm your host every Thursday from 9 to 10. And uh, with me on the phone in the studio are Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster from North of Eden. Um, They are teachers and practitioners of archetypal dream work. And if you want to find out more about what they're up to and their whole fabulous uh, not-roughing-it-dorm building that they've just put together on a gorgeous mountain in northern Vermont. You can check out their website at northofeden.com. Go ahead. Did you have something to say, Krista? I wanted to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a certain radio etiquette. I'm trying to wrap my brain around it because if we, if we were just in my living room, I would just be, you know, peppering you with questions. But right. I have to remember that there's people out there That's that are right. listening and interacting with what we're saying. So That's right. Well, actually, I, I, I've have become used to that too because we do a, a, a radio show through UVM every six weeks. And, oh, very good. And um, you know, so I, I I like to really think that the audience is there and that we're hopefully conveying something about this work in a way that is comprehensible and accessible, even though in a way, 
you know, it is, it's incredibly mysterious. And, mm-hmm. you know, we just tossed out dying to self, um, yeah. <laughs> which is, is really, you know, is the core of what we do. It is really about um, the false self dying um, through the process of listening to the, the dreams in that way to hear what of ourselves needs to die in order for our true self that can be aligned with the divine in order for that to really live. And, you know, that's not necessarily a really, you know, hip or popular thing. Yeah. Um, but it, is, it yeah. is true that that's, that is sort of the foundation of this work. It is definitely off-road terrain. It is not, it is not an easily paved road, is it? <laughs> no. No, and, and not, it's not for everyone. And no. It's just interesting because at the beginning of the conversation you brought up about Roger and you know, what Roger did for us, he forced us to go, you know, off the back roads and get on the highway. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, um, you know, we really sincerely um, have pulled ourselves together in order to, to offer this to those who are drawn to it. Because yeah. what we found is that the people who who are really looking for this kind of rigor and, um, and discipline and are sort of yearning to find that lost soul self, of themselves um, are finding us. And um, so I appreciate that you're having us on our show because it is a way for someone who is listening to be able to hear what it is we're offering. Um, oh, and to, absolutely. And to find out, and to find us. Yeah, and you know, to me, I, I, one of the things that I love about this show, and I also blog on the Huffington Post about dreams and culture, I find it fascinating how uh, the, the world of dreams is really uh, filtering through into waking consciousness in all sorts of interesting ways. So on this show, I just love to highlight all the different ways that dreams are being utilized to further, you know, growth and um, self-actualization and good deeds in the world. And, you know, everybody has their own different take on it. So yours is a real unique kind of voice in that in that mosaic, really, of dream work as it is today. So, yeah, I appreciate having you on. I actually have a pretty esoteric question for you. Um, and it's it's... Well, I was, okay, I'll back up a little bit. I have a lot of years of training in Wicca, you know, goddess traditions and spirituality. And um, so, and I remember in my early days of training, uh, we had a big, well, a big conflict with the Jungian idea of archetypes. To us, it seemed like Jung was talking about archetypes in terms of just them being these sort of internal frameworks or uh, internal guidance systems in each person, whereas in Wicca, it seemed like the gods were alive. The gods and the goddesses are actually, you know, sentient beings, and they may not have form, but they have. there's a consciousness that's alive and working with us. And so there was this whole interesting idea, which I'm still, honestly, I'm still playing with the idea of the internal, the external, how, you know, I don't really know that as a human, we can get an actual answer on whether the gods are within us or without us. But I do tend to think in different terms in different settings. And it's always interesting to notice when I start talking about the divine as if it's an outside influence coming in, or when I'm talking about the divine as something inward that's radiating out. So I guess I'm just sort of throwing that topic open for you guys. What do you think of that, the whole archetypes and divinity, deity kind of question? Well, first of all, I think that I would agree with you that these are not parts of yourself, that they're divine and they're 
and they're real, whatever you want to call them. And they, the more power you give them by moving through the dream work, the more powerful they get in your dreams. And the dreams change at different stages of the dreams where the archetypes become more real, not just inside of you. It's where they start from, which is your dream life when you're asleep. That's pretty in. And they, they, and if they like, and if you know, if you're projecting it on something in the world that they like, then they'll come as that person often. Or if they don't, then they'll then they'll challenge you. But mm-hmm. the thing is, is that um, certainly as it evolves, the archetypal reality is something that you can't deny. For those that have traveled, is interior, mm-hmm. and um, and you in your relationship with it there's nothing it's not the same as having a relationship with a teacher in the outer world and it's one of the big uh, critical things in our organization to make sure that people don't confuse their teacher or me or krista with the divine that we it's one of the tenets that it's inside always inside and and you can after your dreams do their job, you feel it in you. You can feel it always, and in and and working with you, um, it's so easy for folks to want to have it outside to put it off on a person or a teacher. And I think that's normal. That transference is normal. But ultimately, the dream, the divine in dreams, like you're saying, these gods or goddesses, these powers, they want us to attend to them from the inside where they exist, not out in some person. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a challenge, and this is how cults get developed and all sorts of abuse um, with teachers abusing their clients and because it's really important for us and one of the most important things that we could talk about, which we never do, but you brought it up, is this idea of that we are never them. And that that's why every person is challenged to find how they can access it inside of themselves. And even though we're helping them, we're never them. We're never to be confused with that which knows the truth, because the only person that can know the truth is you in relationship with the divine. And sometimes it gets a pretty edgy place. Oh, yes. But for us, interior <laughs> divine is, is absolute. Okay, well, that's interesting. What, Krista, do you have anything to add? Um, I guess what I would add is that um, that is part of the experience of living in a community which where a lot of people um, are doing this work, is that we are. it's very much about human beings living their lives and um, in very practical ways. And, um, and I personally am very interested in the lived experience of this work um, in the individual. So... Um, I know that's just what came to mind, uh-huh. that the, the personification of the divine in the dream is, is the wonderful thing that it's, the wonderful thing about it is that it's so personal and particular. And um, so my experience of the love that I experience in a dream is, is, is unique to me. Mm-hmm. And um, there's an extraordinary thing about living in community with, with, with people who have their own personal experience of that which they call whatever that you want to, word you want to use right, but right. That, rather than putting it out as 
like a religion or we if if you know the divine you know it in this way and you believe in these things we don't we don't have any of that we have a motley crew everybody and i like the word that jung used individuation yes it means that spirituality isn't about a, becoming a religion not that i'm against that but it's about becoming yourself in relationship to the divine that is unique to that which created you that's right. I, Not I, some person's perception of what the truth is. It reminds me of a, a dear friend of mine who shall remain nameless, who uh, we were in some uh, some glorious visualization of something and, you know, think, experiencing the divine in some way. And his, uh, his image for the divine was this golden frisbee sort of wafting through the air and he made a perfect catch. <laughs> and this is a guy who was really into ultimate frisbee. <laughs> and I just loved that. It's like, yeah, you can have a golden frisbee be the divine. I don't see why not. <laughs> well, if it comes to you in your dream, then it has a special meaning to that person. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, we're, we're getting towards the top of the hour, so I wanted to ask if there's anything, if you have any upcoming programs or, uh, uh, you know, events that you want people to know about. Um, yes, we do. Well, we have a retreat coming up, um, which is on July 22nd. We also have... Um, uh, uh, it's also on our website. Um, we do an introduction to archetypal dream work um, on, via um, video conferencing. Oh, we great. I think the term is webinar. So our next one is actually July 13th, um, and it's uh, Eastern Standard Time, 6 to 8 p.m. And if any of your listeners are interested in knowing more about this work, that would be a great way um, to... To, to find out even more and to be able to um, uh, to ask questions and so the way to 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 find out about that is to go to the web our website um, northofeden.com and there will be information on who to contact about signing up um, it's good to sign up in advance because we have to organize the technology yes and we also have uh, on the on, on the website we have examples of string work we have a lot of live or, or taped feeds. And we also have, we've, at this point, uh, uh, we've written four books, and I think it's four, right? And two more are being written, so you can access them either by purchasing them at Amazon.com, or you can read them right on, online. They're all oh, the three of them. What, what are the titles or the subjects of the books? Um, the first is The Deep Well Tapes mm-hmm. by Mark and Susan Marie Scavo, and the second is... No. Wait, go okay, you say it. No, it's okay. No, I can't. Okay. The well, secret of the yeah, okay. secret of the pomegranate, oh. um, by Mark, and then there's uh, sex, trauma, and conjunctio by Mark and myself. Mm-hmm. And oh, there's a book on astrology, the astrological hubris, um, hubris of the heavens. Ah, too. great title. So. <laughs> So between those books, you would find a lot of personal story by different people, um, including myself um, and others, um, of their of their journey through this work, as well as um, more theoretical, the theoretical um, structure and um, 
explanation of the different concepts that we've touched on today. Well, great. It sounds like there's a lot of resources available uh, for people who are interested in your approach to dreams. Again, um, I have been speaking with Mark Bregman and Krista Lancaster of northofeden.com out in uh, northern Vermont. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. That ends this week's Dream Talk radio show podcast. Thanks for listening, and remember to tune in every Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. at www.kows.fm. This is Anne Hill, and I'll see you again next week.